Looking for the best place to buy tickets for any of your favorite teams or sporting events? We've got the spot. Our partner, StubHub, has been the leading ticket marketplace in the world for over 20 years, providing a 100% guarantee with every order. From a worldwide selection of live events, the widest choice of tickets and industry-leading partnerships, StubHub has what you need to purchase with confidence. StubHub, an official partner of The Athletic. The Athletic. And welcome to Pod on the Tyne, your go-to Newcastle United podcast, brought to you by The Athletic, on the show this week. How not to make a statement, NUFC edition, part 482. The dream begins for Santiago Munoz, but where has this transfer come from and how did it happen? We'll learn all the details with Philippe Cardenas. Cheerfulness and how to achieve it when your hapless football team is off the face Ronaldo at Old Trafford this weekend. Hello everybody, welcome to Pod on the Tyne. I am Taylor Payne. And it's a hearty good day to The Athletic's Newcastle correspondent, Chris Woff, and our senior writer, Mr. George Colkin. George, you did some senior writing this week, didn't you? Uh, did you have a nice time at Wembley? Looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 US-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard it right. You can talk to a real human in customer service any time. Sounds like a real game changer, if you ask me. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. Uh, did I have a nice time at Wembley? No, no, probably not. <laughs> I mean, I, I, um, I got quite good at throwing paper airplanes. That's, um, good. Yes, I learned a new skill. That was kind of quite good fun. Um, awesome. Yeah, I went there to sort of try and um well it was the first it was the first game back there, wasn't it, after the European yeah. Championship final and the kind of madness and the mayhem and the chaos and the carnage and of course it was very, very, very different. So yeah. um and I kind of I, I wrote in, I won't kind of go on about the England game, but but I sort of wrote in this piece that we have these incredible, young, brilliant, talented footballers with England now who literally are changing the world around us. Yeah. I mean, whether it's Marcus Rashford um, standing up for, um, you know, child food poverty and, and, and so on and so forth, and Jordan Henderson leading from the front whether it com- when it comes to uh, the response to the NHS and COVID mm. and all that kind of stuff, you know, tackling issues like racism. And those are all very, very serious things. But the one thing that they can't change is how to make a World Cup qualifier against Andorra. Interesting. <laughs> Fair enough. Fair play. Yeah, um, and Chris, how about you, Flight Lieutenant Christopher Belgian Waffle? How are you this this week? Are you all right? Well, I am all right. I did not watch the England game, so I can't really comment on that. What I will say is when you mentioned George being senior writer, my dad did want me to... He listened to the podcast last week and he wanted me to bring up the fact that George mentioned how 
I sent him to basically all of the low key games, and he said that George he's had that his entire life. And then me and my brother, whenever there was it, we used to send him to go and see the likes of Burnley and Norwich, and that we would always go and get the tickets to go and see Man United and, and the likes ourselves. So he basically says that you're going to have a long time of this because he's had it his whole life. So. This is sly. This is slyness, isn't it? So you've been doing. So what you what you shared like season tickets or something? Yeah. Well, technically, one of them was my dad's, and the other one. Well, initially, the other one was mine, but then we. Would would when I went went to university and things it, we shared them, but but essentially we quite often just bumped my dad off his own ticket and we went along on his ticket as well. So you are nothing paid, short paid, of a disgrace, well. Chris. Nothing uh, short of a disgrace. Absolutely, it's appalling. Yes, I'm going to get together with your dad. I'm going to try and work out how to we'll get to some figure sort this out. Compensate some rec- rec- recompense. <laughs> recompense indeed if you want to catch up with all of Chris and George's work The Athletic are still offering 33% off new subscription to podcast listeners get yourself along to theathletic.com forward slash Newcastle pod to take advantage of that special offer that's theathletic.com forward slash Newcastle pod right chops let's get into this a statement of no intent from Newcastle United. So many questions uh, about the statement released by the club this week. We asked the audience, and we'll get to some of those shortly. Uh, but let's just get a grasp of what this was. And who would like to describe it? Chris, George, who wants to have a first stab at this? Um, how about hmm. if I start with a masterpiece of self-delusion? Go for it. Well, there you go. It's a masterpiece of self-delusion. <laughs> That's my description of it. Nobody else is nobody else is fooled by it. Nobody else is taken in by it. I think they're talking to themselves. Um, yeah. you know, it's sort of it's it's I mean it's self justif just justificatory, is that a word? Yeah. It's self justificatory so. word? We'll use it as a word. It, it should be a word. Justificatory. Justificatory. Yeah, it's good. I like it. Keep it. <laughs> I was on the moral high ground at the start of that. That's I, senior I've writer, lost George Colgan. Justificatory. Yeah, I've lost, I've lost, I've lost any sense of moral high ground. Oh God! Come um, on. But it's 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 self delusion, and you know the thing is, it 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 sort of it starts out sort of talking about their reputation for self sufficiency being well established, mm. and uh, and so on and so forth. And it doesn't come at the expense of expense of being ambitious, and yet at the end of this window, we know where they are, which is Bollocks. back to the were. Back, yeah, back to back to where they were at the end of last season, except weaker. And you know, okay, it's, yeah. it doesn't come at the expense of ambition. But let's let's just go through Newcastle's league positions in the Premier League: twelfth, thirteenth, thirteenth, tenth, ooh, eighteenth, relegated, fifteenth, tenth, ooh, sixteenth, fifth, big ooh, twelfth, eighteenth, mm. relegated. So if that's their ambition, it's not yeah. working, is it? Ambition isn't no. working, and. But then you can just pick it apart, you know. You can just pick it apart, and I don't, you know. I mean, I don't think we necessarily sort of need need to do that. But they, they, two two kind of big things come out of it. That um, that firstly, uh, you know, they say they won't spend money that they don't have. That's you know, that's obviously a, you know, that's that's a good thing in some ways. And I I, I did I did write about Newcastle and self sufficiency last week. I, I, mm-hmm. I, I you know I thought that was sort of important to say that at one point. That that was an idea that that could have actually stood for something at various points yeah. during Ashley Mike Ashley's tenure, but um, that there's a, that at the moment Newcastle are just stripped back to nothing, and so 
what they are is not self-sufficient. They're just cheap. That, that's what they yeah. are. They're cheap. They're not. You can be self-sufficient and be a thriving, striving organization that's training for better, and they're not doing that. And um, you know, they say that they won't put themselves in jeopardy by spending money they don't have. Well, by not spending money, they're putting themselves in greater jeopardy, in my opinion. Absolutely. And this is and this is the thing that they don't sort of get. And the other thing, which I'm sure we'll talk about, is that for me, this feels like. Um, a big slap on the wrist or or, or worse to mm. Steve Bruce. Someone yeah. who, just take a step back for a minute and forget, you know, what your feelings are about, about the head coach, the manager. And, you know, let's 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 talk about the situation that the, that the team are in. Well, you know, they've got one point from three games. They're out of the League Cup. Uh, there was a section of supporters and, a, you know, a sizable chunk who called, called for the manager's head in the last game against Southampton. And... This was the one opportunity the club had to uh, to support him, to help him, to strengthen his squad, to, you know, I mean, the bigger picture is about helping the team and helping the club. But, you know, if they wanted, they could have they could have acted and 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 shown their support to him. And instead, they've effectively told him off. And um, I think it's incredibly damaging. I think it's yeah, it's all about I mean, I think they're just I think they're just justifying themselves. I don't understand it. You want them to speak, and then when they speak, they just make things worse. And um, and this time, no one's had the had the balls to put their name at the bottom of it. Absolutely, and I think that was one of the things that a lot of fans got really annoyed about was that it was this nameless, faceless statement that came from the club with an awful lot of claims in there and an awful lot of nonsense and waffle. Chris, um, do the claims in the in the statement do any of them stand up to any kind of scrutiny at all, or is it is it is it paper thin? Because it feels paper thin to me. Well, the difficulty with the the financials, I mean, I know a lot of people have been pouring over it and I've had quite a few people message me sort of individually or, or, or separately basically saying, well, what about the fact that the club makes profit every year? What's happened to all of that? And I mean, in theory, that profit then is used for the next season to, to or has been used, according to the statement, in the next season to pay for the subsequent season's uh, transfers, incomings and outgoings. And so Mike Ashley claims that he hasn't taken any money out and Newcastle are strong in the statement in, in saying that. Now, I know a lot of fans have got an issue with that. The net spend claims to be £120 million, although I think my favourite part of the mm. statement is just the fact that when it, when someone has to put an asterisk in and then try and explain themselves at the bottom, I always think, well, it's, you, you, it's just weird in itself. It's just like, oh, by the way, this yeah. might not be the actual numbers. But basically, there, have, there, have, there has been money spent on players in the course of the, of the last few years. The issue with it is a third of that net spend was spent on Joel Linton. Oh, Joel Linton. A quarter yeah. of the £160 million spent in general on players, not including the £40 million recouped, was spent on Joel Linton. So that some of that money has been spent badly and... It's not so. Much, it's also what 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 has the money been spent on previously before that? Even even if you go be if you go before the summer of twenty nineteen, what was the basis they were trying to build from? Let, How let does Chris, that relate Chris, to Chris, Chris, I don't want to interrupt your app, but while you're talking about Gillington in two thousand nineteen, let, let let me just add a line from from their statement. This approach takes time and requires careful management and long term planning, ensuring that we spend the money we generate wisely. Gillington, forty million pounds a player that the previous manager didn't want mm. at half the price and a, and a player that the current manager can't find a place for in his team. Carry on. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, it's hard to, it's hard to carry on. I don't on think you can after that, that, can that's you? I mean, that's sort of, that's sort <clears throat> of underlined it in many ways. It's completely damning, isn't it? Into, it, it, is, it is damning. 
in terms of the communication, Newcastle don't speak enough, and so therefore, I mean, I said in the in the sort of Q and quick Q and A that we did uh, in response to, to the news that came out on Friday and the effect that we sort of have to cautiously welcome the fact that they've said anything, and I say that because we do encourage them to speak more. And but the, the the problem is that when they do speak, first of all, this is an after the fact sort of statement. Why was there no explanation either before or just after the sign Joe Willock about the situation? Why why is it yeah. only the manager again who comes out and says that? Why is there no name attached to this statement? Is it Lee Charney? Is this Mike Ashley directly? Because I can't see this statement having come out. I've spoken to various people who said there's no chance a statement comes out unless Mike Ashley's ratified it. But is it Mike yeah. Ashley's words? Is it Lee Charney's? Is it a combination? The fact that, as we say throughout it, there's some not so thinly veiled sort of comments which seem to be directed at the head coach. So seemingly he wasn't involved in the in the release of it. But yet it's, it's talking about everyone being on, on the same wavelength. It's just it's typical Newcastle that we wait for so long for them to communicate they then communicate it and, and then basically say but this is all you're getting so this is a, there's no there's no follow-up on this you're not going to be able to ask questions yeah. from Lee Charnley the accounts for example there was no statement from Newcastle United to, to even come alongside the accounts the other week which showed that Newcastle lost money due to COVID-19 last season two seasons ago sorry they could have then come out and explained and said even more yes there was a the line in there saying that even greater losses were coming but no but nothing came out alongside that to explain this they, do, they don't come out and explain I, I want to interrupt Chris again. I think I'm, I think I'm serving quite a useful purpose, actually. I'm sorry to break your train of thought, though, Chris. I'd just like to um, to refer us back to a statement that Lee Charlie did make almost exactly two years ago. I accept we need to do more from a communication perspective moving forward. There is certainly a need to communicate more as a club and to let fans know where we are heading collectively. That goes beyond the responsibility of just the head coach or manager in isolation, something we have relied on far too heavily in the past. We want to give you more of an insight into what happens across the club, and you will therefore be hearing more from me as you are today. Hello, Lee. Just... Uh, hello, Lee. Lee. Hello, 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 hello. It's just torn deaf, isn't it? The, well, it's not it, even. It's, it's, I mean, it's, it's, there's been nothing since then. You know, there's been nothing since then. And Chris is right. Um, we do have to reflect the fact that we want more communication from them. But because it's so sporadic and because it's so infrequent, when they do communicate, everything, again, everything gets picked apart. Nobody nobody takes it at face value. And yeah. so, I mean, does that exacerbate the problem? No, that's, this is their problem. This is their problem, and it's a problem of their own causing. And everything they say, you can relate back to something else where they either haven't said something, or in this case, when they've promised to. I mean, and I know there's, you know, we all know what the circumstances are around the club that COVID has certainly th thrown a spanner in the works for everybody, and the takeover or non-takeover, or however we want to phrase it, has been going on too. That does not mean you can't come out and explain. Yeah. Um, and and you can't <clears throat> offer your manager some support or you can't come out and just say, look, this is really difficult, but this is what's happening at the minute. Or I can't say very much, but, or thank you for your support. Or we're all going through a tough time. We're going through a tough time as a club too. You know, blah, blah, blah. They've done none of it. And so I've got absolutely zero, zero sympathy uh, for them. Yeah. I mean, I've been sitting here just listening to you guys talking about this and, and steadily boiling um, as I'm as I'm kind of trying to put my thoughts together on, on how I feel about this. Because when it came out the other day, I, it popped up on my phone because I've got notifications on Twitter set on my phone for, for the club. And when a, when a statement pops up, you straight away, because you don't see them very often, you go, oh, I wonder what this is. 
and you click on it and you read it and you open it up and as a fan there's always part of me which goes oh no what's this going to be now and I read it and I read the whole thing from start to finish and it got to the bottom of it and I just went ah fuck off and I just threw my phone on the floor and walked away and I just do you know what George I I just feel so frustrated by this because it's it's exactly what I, I, it's exactly what I expect from them. It, every single time, it's reactionary in that it felt like a reaction to Steve Bruce saying, "We, you know, we're not going to get enough. We haven't got enough. Uh, we haven't got the loans in we want, and all that sort of stuff." It felt like a reaction, like we said before, felt like a slap on the wrist. But it's exactly the same as the reactionary statements they've put out after things have happened with the takeover and the Premier League, and it scanned in exactly the same way, and it read the same way. It was like a petulant child who'd had, who'd had his toys taken off him. And, and wasn't happy about it and was banging his fist on the table and going, no, 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 give me toys back. And it's, it, it just annoys me so much. It's so unprofessional. It's so bad. But you read that statement and the more I read it, the yeah. more I read it, the, the more angry I got. And I thought, is there a single club in the Premier League who would put out this bullshit? And I don't think there is. I genuinely don't think there is. But are, are you, can, can, sorry, are you, are you near your window at the minute? I'm quite close window. to my window, yeah. Right, well, you, you may, if you're very, very lucky, you may be able to see the open-top bus that's going back from Newcastle <laughs> being top six form in the top six form table over the final oh nine fixtures of God. last season. I final think that nine the, fixtures? Come on. I Come think on, that lads. Was the, that was the part of the of the statement that I read, and I, that was the bit where I thought, you know what, this is a joke. This is a complete joke. Well, well that's, that's a real achievement, that if you tra- Chris. Come on. If you translate that to this season so far... Newcastle will be a third of the way through the season and a one point above the relegation zone with six games remaining. Oh, if we're so going to do a nine-game season, you were so and then negative. if you go back, you go back and you look at the fact that they won two of twenty-two games in all competitions. I, I noticed that that bit was just oh, missed out. So negative. I suppose. So negative. I suppose because because Joe Willock wasn't there for most of that. Therefore, that they're, they're not talking about the current squad, quote unquote. And so negative. Um, I mean, I suppose you're going to point out that Newcastle's last two games of last season were against Sheffield United and Fulham, both of whom are already relegated. I mean, yeah. it's just so negative. Chris, come on. Come this on, is Chris. our this is our trophy. Top six form in the last nine fixtures. Come on. That's Europe. Come on, Chris. Isn't That's that European kind of... form. I haven't finished last season in twelfth place as well. That is presented as if it's some sort of achievement. And what George was saying before again is that like, what? Why shouldn't Newcastle fans just be like, oh great, we've got a squad which might just be able to finish twelfth again this year? The idea that that is that is the sum total of, of the ambition and that you should just be happy with that it's the the whole problem of the whole Mike Ash era which is the it's not just the fact that there isn't the ambition it's the killing of the even the dream of, of, of getting better of progressing and that's exactly what the issue's been here there's this line I'm looking at I'm looking at now actually and this is actually making me quite angry we ask all our loyal supporters to get behind their team because we are stronger together and it just makes you wonder just fuck off it just, just makes it just it just makes you wonder what what those loyal fans have been doing because I could have sworn there were fifty thousand people at the stadium on yeah. the first day of the season. I could have sworn that thirty odd thousand turned up for a League Cup game, inevitably, which Newcastle lost. Didn't quite lose, going to Steve Bruce, of course. Um, and you know, another 40, 40 what was it, forty four, forty five thousand turned up against Southampton. Newcastle fans do not need to be asked for their loyalty. Newcastle are loyal to a fault. And, you know, we are stronger together. Well, stop, please stop driving people away from the club then. Yeah. If that's, and, and stuff like this doesn't hurt. I mean, there are holes, you know, there are holes all over the place. I mean, you know, they've said that they, they, they'll only spend money that they have and okay, right, that's fine. But so, and, and that, and that Joe Willock 
has stretched them beyond that point. So they've said that, that, you know, they've spent more than they budgeted for. So they're paying it installments, which they which they never do. I mean, that's, you know, that's another thing. They only pay fees up front. Yeah. And yet they yeah. still take fees and installments from other clubs. So they're doing this. Mm-hmm. They they think this is a better way for them to organise their finances. For the life of me, I can't see why. And I can't see how, because nobody else does this that I'm aware. But just, just so here's a, here's a hypothetical question. Um, what happens if they lose the next 10 games and um, they make the decision that Steve Bruce uh, isn't going to turn things around and that if they don't make a change, they're going to get relegated? Now, I'm not saying either of these things. This is a very hypothetical. Uh, is there argument that because they have no money, they couldn't afford to sack Steve Bruce to pay off to pay him compensation and to appoint somebody else? Mm. Is that really what they're saying here? They're saying they had no more money for a loan signing or two loan signings. I'm sure they'd, f- they'd find that money. If, it, if the club was in danger of being relegated, they'd find that money. Well, they've, done, they've done it in the past when the club was in danger of going down. They suddenly found, they suddenly found 18, 19 million quid and signed a lot of French lads to, to, in order to try and keep us up. Oh, yeah. I mean, they, well, they, they, I mean it didn't work. But, no, they get another tranche of TV money in January. And so, yeah. you know, so perhaps they're leaving themselves the option to strengthen them. But again, that, you know, to me, that would be a flawed way of looking at things. Okay, yes, you can, you can address things in January, but... That already me- means that they've missed any chance that they had of building some momentum this summer, having finished having finished in top six form over nine over nine games. They could have they could have made an attempt to push on. Sign Willock, brilliant. We're all happy with that. Bring in another couple of loan signings that strengthen the the squad and hopefully strengthen the team. And you might have something to build yeah. on as things stand. They don't. And you know, if you're if you're doing stuff in January, then you're. Um, then you're t- then usually you're att- you're attempting to kind of correct errors and correct correct mistakes, mm. and yeah. you know again it's a very simplistic point I realise that, but there is a way of borrowing money, or there is a way of um, shuffling resources without putting yourself in jeopardy. I don't want Newcastle to go out of business, but if people if anyone is seriously telling me that spending two million quid on a loan fee, for example, or spending 40 grand a week on wages when you've cleared well in excess of that this summer. Think of all the players who've left the club this summer. Um, mm. um, so th- there should be there, therefore, you know, f- some freedom uh, for, man- for manoeuvre. And, you know, you have to, if everybody else is strengthening and you're not, then you're weaker. And so they're yeah. weaker, they're weaker in, a, in, in one, in a, just in an absolute simple sense. And they're weaker because others have strengthened, and they've they've put a hand grenade underneath the head coach at a time at, you know at, at the worst possible time for him at the worst possible time yeah. for the club, and it you know they're asking fans to come together at the same time that they've they're making it more likely for things to spin apart. It's ludicrous. Well, the bizarre thing is over the course of the last year, what are the two things which have made Newcastle United come out and release statements? The ability to kick the Premier League, and then seemingly something that which, if if it's intentional or not, although it seems to have strong undertones of it, to undermine their own manager, it's bizarre that they're the two things, yeah. the two times Newcastle have come out and released these sort of statements over the course of last year. There's been several with the Premier League, and then there's this one, which certainly yeah. in various points seems to seems to mention their own head coach, who they have given their own back into, who they came out in mm-hmm. in April after the the game against uh, Brighton, and they were insistent that he wasn't going anywhere. And yet now they've they've thoroughly undermined him. 
It would be interesting to get Steve Bruce's opinion on this statement. I mean, I doubt he'll ever he'll ever give it, or he might get asked about it in a press conference. But um, oh, he'll be asked about it. It'll yeah. be it'll be it'll be interesting to see what he says, whether he gives a straight back political answer or whether he actually, you know, opens up at all. And I'm not sure, but it would be interesting to get his to get his reaction. And perhaps we should very very briefly put that into some sort of context. I mean, the the reason why we're saying that is because. Um, you know, Steve Bruce was certainly pushing until late in the window to to bring in loan signings. And Seemingly after the club had said business was closed as well, based on well, a few things. Yes, phone calls were still being made to yeah. to to Leicester uh, about Chowdhury and and so on and so forth. And there was still he was still he was certainly still pushing. Now that you know, you're right. The club the club briefed. Um, to, to various media outlets in the morning that they were they were done for the day and yet they were still other parts of the club were still pushing and yeah. um, that does feel like a very confused uh, message and it feels like a very unsatisfactory position to be in and so that's why we're saying it sounds like uh, sort of a slap down to the manager uh, who as we know has you know then then took a few days off. Um, as did uh, as did as did the playing staff, by the way. But um, yeah. but yeah, it feels it feels very very it feels very very messy. Well, we could go round and round on the merry-go-round of mirth for a, an, another hour talking about this, couldn't we? But let's uh, let's move on and and take some questions from the real-time feed on the Athletic app. There's a few uh, a few different questions came in about the statement. Uh, Michelle C with the first one, simple question: Who wrote it? Um, I'm going to venture my opinion on this um, after reading the statement uh, and after I'd calmed down. Uh, I read it properly and I had a little uh, a little look at the language being used, and I'm not I'm not saying that this is fact um and i'm just guessing here but based on the conversations i've had with him when i was part of the fans forum it's got lee charnley's stamp all over it in my opinion um it it it's it reads like the way he speaks uh and i know a lot a lot of people have heard him speak <laughs> that's a different issue altogether but to me it felt like it was a lee charnley special i don't know how you guys feel about that or whether you believe that either but that's just how it feels to me I would like an answer to, to, to the question as well, Michelle. I, I can't I can't give you an answer on that. As, as we say, it, it wasn't signed off by anyone in a bizarre sort of way that it's just released as, as a club statement. I mean, what that even means. But the essentially, club wrote Newcastle, it itself. It was artificial exactly, yeah. intelligence, Chris. I mean, I mean, Newcastle United only have one director who is the club become sentient. That's what happened. They only have one director, which is Lee Charnley. But then the the older Madonna is Mike Ashley. It could be a combination of them. It could be someone else. We just we just don't. We have to assume it is just the hierarchy in general, whoever that is. But I'm afraid I, I can't answer that with any fact. Mm. Chris, um, just one more on the club's finances. They only spend what they have. We know that. How much did Lee Charnley's wages go up by in the last published accounts? Uh, they increased. I think it was 150 odd percent. Um, that was that, and that we don't even know for that. That's not for last season. That was for the season before, so we don't know. It's in line with inflation, isn't it, Chris? That's what that is, surely. So, just to go back to the statement, that, sorry for the sirens uh, outside. Not there's so many ice creams going that quickly. Um, so, just a, just another little quote uh, from the statement. In simple terms, there is one pot of money, and spending in one area reduces the amount available for others. I mean, who does business like that? What? What what Premier League club do you know that just has one big pot of money? Who's who runs us? Scrooge McDuck. What's going on? 
madness. I, I, to, be, to be fair, that, that the idea, no, I, 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 that idea itself, I suppose that's how. I mean, that that is just words to me. It, it it's basically that's how any business works. There is always one pot of money. I don't think the. Yeah, but I surely you ring just, fence money for different parts of the business, don't you? Well, yeah, they're, but they're, you have they, they do do for that, different they, parts of the business. Yeah, they do do they do have that, but then there's one ultimate sort of budget all the way up. It's just it's as I say, it's just words. It's just the way that they're trying to justify it. I don't think it it, it, it makes sense, but it only makes sense because it's so general and generic that it just doesn't. Yeah. Do anything. Uh, another question uh, from Jonathan M. I'd like to understand a little more about the cash generated from non-match day activities outside of broadcasting revenues. Are the club lagging behind their counterparts in this area? If so, is this a consequence of poor commercial acumen? Is Sports Direct smothering revenue that could be obtained in its stead, or is the brand simply too toxic? Uh, Chris, what do we think about that? Well, having spoken to Kieran Maguire quite a lot over the last few years, uh, friend of, of The Athletic, brilliant in terms of his price of football podcast and books and the like, he is a lecturer in, in football finance and he's adamant that Newcastle United could and should have a higher commercial revenue. I've spoken to people high up at the club previously who've sort of tried to argue that that's a bit of a misnomer and that, that really that, that's not the case. I mean, if you look at it, the, the, the commercial spend is flat and it basically hasn't changed in the whole time that Mike Ashley has been owner of the club, which seems extraordinary in itself given the changes yeah. elsewhere. And given if you look at, I mean, there were, I know that the comparison is always made is, is, is Spurs and now Spurs Tottenham, are yeah. sort of in a diff, completely different stratosphere in terms of money they bring in. So the Sports Direct smothering revenue, I think that there probably is an argument for that. I know there was a period where it was it was unclear whether Sports Direct paid the well. There was a period at one stage did they even pay for the sponsorship that they had around St James's Park? Then it was are they paying market rate? Newcastle are adamant that they are, but you have all of that advertising space. The brand, yes, I, pro- I think it probably has become toxic, and some won't want to be associated with it. But yeah, they they are. They, I do believe that they are lagging behind other areas mm. i think you just have to look at those comparisons and people who know far more about this than me argue that they are newcastle argue otherwise and it isn't really that they, different yeah, and there they, isn't much commercial growth yeah they, they, their claim is, i mean a lot of a lot of the stuff they do in, in terms of commercial stuff is outsourced so what they say is they don't have to spend very much money and everything that comes into the club is therefore kind of profit you know so they they're not having associated staff costs they're not having the costs of sort of you know buying stuff in and then selling it and stuff because it's all taken out so they that's why they kind of argue it's a sort of it's not necessarily a straight comparison but i you know i want the club to be full of people and to be full of life all pushing Mm. forward to make the club earn more money or get bigger and better and this is the idea this is the this is that idea of self-sufficiency this is a club that is self-sufficient only in the sense that it's been cut right back to the quick to the extent that it's effectively a ghost ship that as chris says there's only one director and um and you know department after department has been has been kind of cut back well i want it to be invested in i want to i want that investment in people and the more mm. people you employ and the the better those people are at their job and the the more they're straining to bring cash into the club the richer the club gets the more money there is to to then spend it's you know it's that absolute age old argument about speculating to accumulate and again the same that you can yeah. apply that philosophy to ev- to all parts of the club that if you invest substantive sums in the academy for example, and bring the right people in to run it five years down the line, 10 years down the line, 15 years down the line, that academy produces players. And what you want is a pathway to the first team so that if someone gets injured or is moved on, the first thing you do is look behind you and see what's in the academy. And 
if they don't make it or can't make it, then you look to sell them on. I mean, it's basic stuff. It's way too late for this, of course. It's absolutely way yeah. too late. They talked about this in the early days, but didn't follow through. But, you know, a, self, a, a club can be self-sufficient and still generate money and still be an organisation that is pushing to achieve something. Newcastle are stripped back. Completely. Uh, just quickly before we finish up this little section as well, Benny asks rather sort of existentially, when will it end? <laughs> <laughs> I think we all feel like that, don't we, Ben? Yeah. <sighs> uh, right, I'll tell you what, chaps, that'll have to do for this part, um, though I suspect we will be revisiting this particular topic uh, soon. After a little break, uh, we're going to have a conversation between myself, Chris, and Philip Cardenas about the club's newest signing. Uh, we spoke on Zoom earlier on, uh, and if I, can, if I can give it away a little bit, this transfer isn't necessarily what you think it is. Okay, so uh, as promised last week, we have with us a colleague from our parent organisation, the Athletics US office, here to give us a bit more information about a signing that has prompted more jokes than it has serious attention, uh, thanks to a series of, quite frankly, bizarre coincidences with the plot of the film Goal. But this is an interesting story, and it's one that Felipe Cardenas has been out in front of throughout its development. Felipe, welcome to Pot on the Time. Thanks for coming on. My pleasure. Thanks for having me, guys. Looking forward to talking about Santi. Uh, and obviously, apologies to you for the absolute firestorm that is Newcastle United that you've walked into with this story. It's, you know, we don't have an awful lot to celebrate at the minute. So when we do get a sign in, we have to like really go for it. Uh, but how much do, do football fans in North America know uh, about Newcastle United, about our reputation, um, you know, like the current shambles of the club and the uh, the original iteration of it in our glory years and stuff like that? What, what do we know about Newcastle? I, I think because the the Premier League is such a, a popular, it's the most popular football league in the United States. It's been like that for decades. You know, the the, the story behind Newcastle United is fairly well known. Uh, so their, their lack of signings, the, the, the ongoing news about a potential sale, uh, that has been part of the ecosystem uh, in, the nor- in, nor- in the North American soccer space. So I think as of late, actually, Miguel Almiron's signing I think that opened up a lot of new American fans to the realities of Newcastle United. Um, so I, I, I'm here in Atlanta. Atlanta is a relatively new football city. It has a big MLS club in Atlanta United. That's where Miguel Almiron became a star. And so when he was transferred to Newcastle United, it brought in hundreds, if not thousands, of new fans to the sport that essentially started to follow Miguel and Newcastle. They became Newcastle fans. And I think at first, it was great, but then they quickly realized this: the club that they were that they were actually supporting, uh, the style of football that they were going to have to watch on a weekly basis, yeah, uh, and, and all that chaos. So I think, honestly, people understand here in the United States, like even the average football fan, like what Newcastle is today. You mentioned Almiron when he came to Newcastle. He'd been in the MLS. He'd been sort of the the star player in the MLS. Just just won the title there. It's different with the sign in Newcastle have just made. So can you just give a little bit of the, the backstory behind uh, Santiago Munoz? Are you going to say his name correctly? First of all, tell us all how to pronounce it, because I've just said it, I know incorrectly. But what on Newcastle? What can Newcastle fans expect from Santi? Yeah, Santi Munoz. Remember, it's the key is, the, is that Enya. Um, you know, he's a young player. He's 19 years old. 
Uh, to your point, Chris, I mean, definitely not at the level of a Miguel Almiron. You know, Miguel Almiron is a proven player coming out of when in Argentina, when he came to MLS, he was one of the top players in Argentina. Um, you know, now he's one of the top players for his national team, and he is still to this day uh, a, a, a player that is perhaps we won't see again in MLS. He was that much of a difference maker. Santi Munoz is an academy project from the Santos Laguna uh, Academy system, which is in Mexico, one of the most popular, progressive, and successful academy systems. So he is American born. I think that's important to, to note. He was born in El Paso, Texas, and he quickly moved over to, to Mexico when Santos discovered him, uh, sort of like a youth tryout um, in the States. Uh, and so he arrived at the Santos club around 15 years old and immediately was essentially taken up to the U-17s as a 15-year-old. Uh, I spoke with his academy coach a few months back when he came onto the scene. He started he started for Santos when two of their strikers went down, two very experienced strikers in Mexico. And he scored three goals back to back, just right away. Boom, 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 three goals. Three very well-taken goals too. A player that you knew was unafraid of playing against men, uh, the sort of striker that can create on his own. Um, he's very confident in the penalty area. He's opportunistic and he's skillful. I mean, he can play, he is a player. He's not just a back to goal striker. He's not just a pacey striker. He's technical. And so when I spoke to people at Santos, I think I understood that this was the jewel of the academy. This was the player that they had singled out as he will be our proof of concept because he's this guy's going to Europe. You know, they've produced several players that have moved on to bigger clubs in Mexico. Uh, they've they're starting to produce players at Santos that are moving on to Europe and then essentially being called up to the senior national team in Mexico. And Santi was, was just seen as this player that was going to be different. So I think if I'm a Newcastle fan, I understand that they probably like, what is this? Who is this kid? Why should I care? Especially the fact, the fact that it looks like he will essentially play with the under 23s to get used to English football, but he's a special player. That is, that is, that is what the consensus is in Mexico, a, a, a top footballing country. They saw a 19-year-old Santi Munoz as someone that, that could essentially become a global star and not just because of the parallels to this movie. Like he can actually <laughs> play. He can actually play. He told me personally, I think it was in March, that he models his game after Robert Lewandowski. And, uh, you know, listen, young players love to idolize the big stars. And when he told me that, you know, this isn't me comparing him to Lewandowski. That would be ridiculous, right? But I can see why. You know, Lewandowski is another striker that he can create for himself. You know, he's he's unafraid in the box. He's very he can pick a corner in very little amounts of space inside the penalty area, and that's what Munoz is like—an opportunistic, skillful, skillful striker. Well, we certainly uh, we've been short of a bit of that over the last few years, and I mean, we you you touched very briefly there upon the film, upon goal, and and the really bizarre parallels that come along with this story. And I mean, is it fair to say that we don't really know an awful lot about Sandy? But would we be talking about this if it wasn't for the the coincidences and stuff like that, or would he just be somebody like Rodrigo Vilca who's come in as a, an under twenty three, or you know somebody else who's came into our youth system who we might not hear about and we might not see him play? Like, would we be that? Would we be that interested if it wasn't for the film? 
You know, probably not. I mean, you cannot deny the it's bizarre. parallel. It's, it's ridiculous. Yeah, it's ridiculous. <laughs> I mean, even Santi Munoz, when I asked him, he was like, it's crazy. Like, he was a big fan of the film when he was a kid. Uh, he wow. could not deny that. Like, his, his face blew, like, lit up when I asked him about that. Uh, and so, yeah, that's that's going to be talked about. In fact, when I was talking to San, some of the front office members at Santos, they weren't keen on that. They didn't love that parallel. To them, it was like, right. It's, this is a player that we that we value. This is a, a player that we've developed. Mm. We have high hopes for him. We they did not want to sell him this early in the process. They actually, you know, when I was talking to their club president, he felt like it's too early. He's only played 19 games at the at the first division level in Mexico. Uh, and so that all the hype, like that was a concern for the Santos side. Um, they want to see this player excel. They want to see this player develop. They want him to represent the club at the highest level, represent Mexico if he chooses to play for Mexico or the United States. So it's undeniable, the movie parallel. But, um, you know, I think in, in comparison to perhaps the Peruvian signing for Newcastle, I mean, you know, Santi Munoz, I think even at 19 and, and having only played 19 first division games he's a little bit more polished and in his mentality i think that's what continues to stand out when i talk to people that know him well his academy coach the front office the owner of club santos everyone's you know points to his maturity and i can attest i've, I've spoken to him twice on zoom and he's very polished he's very confident he's not a deer in the headlights sort of young player that doesn't know how to act with the media, he's fully aware of, of everything that is surrounding him. And I think that drives him. I think it'll be interesting to see how, how he actually does once he's like on the field playing for Newcastle, whether it's the U23s or not. Like I told a colleague of mine, I think I would not be surprised if he is up at the first team sooner than later. And how is, how is his English as well, uh, Felipe? Is he, is he a good communicator as far as that's concerned? He told me, like, I started the interview the last time I spoke with him, and I, I started in English. I, I did the entire interview in Spanish, but then I but I started off saying, so, Santi, how's your English? Should we do this in English? And he started, he laughed. He said, you know, he answered in, in Spanish, actually, but he said that he's confident, he understands English fully, and that he, uh, you know, he thinks he can communicate fairly well. I mean, it's, he's not a fluent speaker, but again, he's he was born on the border between Mexico and the United States. He's fully immersed basically as a bicultural uh, Mexican-American. I have to be honest, when this story was first made aware to me by our, our athletic editors, I thought that they were taking the mick. And it was then when I came to you, and obviously you you were miles ahead of this story. You'd, you'd interviewed uh, Santi previously, and then, and then you knew it was all going to happen. First of all, can you sort of explain the backstory behind how it all came about and you found out about it? But also, second of all, the deal itself is a bit of an odd one in terms of it's an 18-month loan. It's quite a high loan fee as well to then turn into to, to potential option for, for Newcastle to buy. So just, just your thoughts on, on the construct of the deal as well. It is interesting. I think, I think especially for, for Mexican football, who they, they have their own internal transfer market that's very lucrative. You know, teams tend to transfer players among the big clubs in Mexico. Uh, and so I think what's happening now in Mexico, actually, is younger players are are being poached by their agents and and being essentially presented to European scouts at a much younger age, uh, and then the players are enamored by that possibility of playing in Europe and, and and they push for a move. What happens on the on the Santos side in this case was that they didn't want to lose a player. They didn't want to just simply uh, lose a player that was important to them. They were trying to extend Santi Munoz. Actually, he had a U twenty contract, and so. 
they were Santos was trying to extend him to a, a bit of a long-term deal so that they would have a little bit more leverage when a European club came and, and asked for Santi, they would have to play potentially uh, pay a buyout clause. Uh, but Santi started to push. He pushed for a move and he had agents in his corner that were pretty aggressive in, in, in that, in that case. And so the loan, I think protects Santos in that, okay, we're losing a player that we value. Um, and they're getting 3.5 million euros for this 18 month loan. If he does well, I'm sure there are incentives behind this loan deal that that'll increase that sale if Newcastle wants to make it a permanent deal. And so in that case, you know, Santos is protected. They protect an asset. Um, at the same time, it allows a player like Santiago Munoz to go and essentially prove himself at this level. And if it doesn't work out, he comes back to Santos. I think future regardless, he would be a big sale for this club, whether it's within Mexico or again to Europe. So uh, Chris, to answer your question, like I knew several weeks ago, several weeks ago, I know you and I were talking um, that this was, that this was moving. This was, this was a possibility. And as I, as I continued to talk to the, to, to, to sources in Mexico, uh, it became clear to me that it wasn't this big transfer and it, it was more of this sort of, uh, very prepared and and an intricate deal that was meant to protect the player and his development and protect the the, the selling club uh, in this case club santos and so uh you know it's it's interesting i know that he has suitors from belgium and portugal those moves re were, were rejected by the santos front office but they felt very very confident in newcastle united i think that clearly this is an opportunity for them to show the world that we develop players we can move them onto the premier league so again it'll, it's up to santi at this point to 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 really perform it's interesting i was listening to what chris was saying there about the deal and i found the deal quite interesting as well it's it's almost like a loan an extended loan trial isn't it with like with, with a fee involved. And then if, if things don't work out, you know, we shake hands and call it Johnny goes back to his parent club. It's, is this a kind of new type of deal that we're going to see more often in football or is it because traditionally you will see young players going out on loan from clubs to, to other clubs. And then, you know, they'll spend a year there or 18 months and they'll come back and their development will continue with that parent club. But with this one, it's a little bit different, isn't it? It is. And that's what I was alluding to initially, I think in Mexico, but now that you're bringing it up from your, the European perspective, it is new. I think it is. I, don't, way I haven't seen much of this, yeah. to be honest, the and, way this is working. And, and in Mexico in particular, um, immediately after Santi Munoz was, was, was the deal was essentially closed and it was well known that it was a loan deal. Uh, Johan Vasquez, a young, I think 21, 22 year old defender, um, from Mexico was the same deal, essentially the same deal, the same terms were agreed upon between his club of Mexico and Genoa and, and Serie A. So a loan deal and like essentially 18 months to 20 months where the, the player tries out basically. And, and, and both, both clubs in the end can make the decision whether this is final. So I think in that case, what what makes it new is that clubs, the selling clubs, are trying to make are trying to protect their asset. That's what it is. It's their asset. They don't want to just lose these players on a free. Oftentimes, especially in Mexico, there's being they're signed to, like I mentioned with Santi, under twenty like academy deals. They're not first division professionals yet. They can be move. They can move up and play, but they don't have these long term first division contracts. And then a European scout comes and poaches them, and and they're they've lost. They've lost like thousands, if not millions of dollars of, of, of years of investment in a player uh, because an, an agent is pushing him through. So 
I think we're on to something. I think we're going to see more of that, not just in, in North America, but to your point, I think you'll see more of that in Europe, especially South America as well. I mean, you're seeing young players moving at 16, 17, 18, 19 years old to European clubs. Um, you're seeing more South Americans at that age, 17, 18, 19, being signed by MLS clubs. MLS is becoming a league where the younger, the better. The clubs are actually incentivized to buy younger players. So you'll see selling clubs saying, okay, what do I get out of this? Because you're taking a player that to us is not developed yet. Felipe, final question for me sort of goes back to, to Miguel Almron and just for someone who watched him closely and the success he had in the MLS, can you just give us the sort of perspective of, an outsider looking in at him now and how he's being used at Newcastle and sort of situations. There's been a big debate here about what his best position is, whether he's being used correctly, whether Newcastle are getting enough from him. I mean, I appreciate you may not have seen him every week, but just from what you have seen, what the sort of viewpoint is from Atlanta looking at him. Yeah, for those that uh, that were close to Miguel Almiron here in Atlanta, uh, you know, first of all, he's a player. You know, I, I tell this story often. I saw him when he had an injury, a hamstring injury, in November of 2018. Uh, Atlanta was pushing towards the playoffs. They eventually won MLS cup that season, but he was, I walked into a training session uh, in, in November, rain, cold, and Miguel Marone was out on the training pitch, you know, training by himself with a trainer, uh, doing everything he could to not miss one game of those, of that playoff run. And I just remember thinking like, I'd already seen him dominate the league and now I'm watching him, you know, train through an injury, doing everything he can. And I was like, this guy is just ridiculous. He's special. Like he's going to kill it wherever he goes. And I think when he arrived at Newcastle, a lot of all was just a player that was still getting used and adapting to, to English football, obviously, but also getting used to the, the tactics at Newcastle, which just it's not an aggressive and a progressive way of playing, which that's what that's what he's been doing since he was a teenager. OK, like even in Paraguay because of his skill set. And, and in MLS, he was just a player that could solve Atlanta's problems on his own. I mean, that's how good he was. He could just run past everybody. Um, he could draw a foul at any stage of the, of the game, any pl- part of the field. He was unplayable often. And, and, and Tata Martino, who now coaches Mexico, knew that. He knew he had a special player. He knew he had, a, he had an untraditional sort of number 10 that could play on a wing, play in a half space, get behind the ball or play behind a striker, get on the ball, dictate tempo. But in a league like MLS that is really up and down and transition-based, you had a player that could just crush teams. And so he comes to Newcastle and he was playing essentially, I saw him like a wingback. He was playing as a wingback and, uh, you know, defending a lot. And he defended a lot in Atlanta because he had to. He had to, he would track back. He, he was, he sacrificed his body all the time. But when you're just you know, when you're playing in a team for Newcastle United in, in English football in the Premier League, where you're not expected to win the league, and that was what he—that was his experience from Argentina to MLS. He was playing on teams that yeah. were expected to win. You're going to be aggressive, and so I think when I see him play for Paraguay recently in Copa America as well, you know what he was surrounded by players that could play one, two quick passes that could combine around around the the 18. Uh, he had space to run. And, and, and that's what that's where he is best played, where, where he can just kind of be free. It's not just a free role because he can defend and he'll he's he'll he'll play for the team. But if he can get in space, that is where he will dominate games. And and it, it's tough at, at the Premier League level. I, I understand that. But, you know, he's a player that that should be given that freedom to just sort of take on players. 
Um, you didn't ask me this, but I want to say one thing about Santi Munoz before we go, because I remember, I remember this. Hold on, hold on. So this is interesting because you mentioned Taylor that you know Newcastle struggled with goal scores over the years, um, and this isn't to say that Santi Munoz is going to be this twenty-five goal scorer and just light up the league. No, but the one thing that I heard from play, from, from the people at Santos inside the club. Um, and most recently in Los Angeles last week, I was in Los Angeles for the MLS All-Star game. I sat with a lot of executives from Mexican football and they're talking about this deal. They're talking about Santi Munoz going to Newcastle United. And the one thing that someone told me that it just stuck out, and this is sort of a terrible translation from Spanish to English, but bear with me. He basically said that Santiago Munoz has a certain romance with scoring. He has a romance with the with goal with goal scoring, with the goal, with being in front of the net. And that to, to them was just like, that's why he's different. You know, like, yes, he's mature, he's skillful, but there's something about him that he just, he can score, you know, he knows how to score. Um, and, and, and I think if I'm a Newcastle fan, that's, that would get me excited. That's what I think will move him quickly, at least into the consideration for some first team appearances. If he can show at the immediately that this is a kid that, that can score goals and take people on. So We'll see. We'll see how it goes early on. But I, I, I have high hopes for him. I think he's going to be a very good player. We are very easily pleased here in Newcastle, to be honest. And if we have a man who can put the ball in the net, that is all we need. We don't need anything else. Stick him in front of Gallagher and put the ball in the net and we will be happy. That's all he needs to do. Uh, but we will watch his development with a close eye. Uh, and hopefully he can he can develop in the kind of player who can become a really great asset for Newcastle further down the line. Uh, Philippe, thank you so much for coming on and, and giving us your time. I know you're a busy man uh, and we really appreciate it. It's been lovely to talk to you. And thank you for giving us some of the back Background on the deal as well. I'm sure it's really helped a few Newcastle fans with that with that information. Thanks a lot. It's been great fun. Cheers for coming on. My pleasure, guys. Anytime. So the international break is almost over and up next for Newcastle United is a trip to Old Trafford and of course nobody will give a shiny shite about us at all because they'll be too busy uh, with all the Cristiano Ronaldo nonsense. It should be fun, shouldn't it lads? Our defence being the uh, the sieve that it is. Is it a sieve or is it more of a colander? What has bigger what has bigger holes? Colander does, doesn't it? Yeah. So it's one of those. It's a welly top. <laughs> Yeah, uh, and Cristiano Ronaldo will be facing it. Well, I mean, that, that sounds about right, doesn't it? <laughs> it's I just mean, it what does we need. feel it does feel fairly. It does feel kind of like fairly in keeping with the rest of our existence. Um, I should point out, of course, that Chris is doing this game, not me, and not Chris's dad. Um, um, but um, but. Yeah, I mean, I, I, the one thing I'm vaguely pleased about is that it's not on television. So yeah, um, absolutely. At least, <laughs> at least I don't have to watch it. Um, yeah, it's uh, oh God. I mean, it doesn't feel good, does it? It doesn't feel good, and it does feel to me. I mean, having been, I was at the Southampton match. We know what happened there, and you know, it feels like we're building towards something again. And you know, kind of looking. It's difficult to see Newcastle getting anything at Old Trafford, and then. You know, beyond that, it's then a Friday night game 
at home to Leeds, which is on television. Leeds will pack out the away game. It's gonna that'll be a pretty raucous atmosphere, I'm sure. And um, oh god, you know, it doesn't take it doesn't take much imagination to sort of to sort of think about what that might sound like and feel like. But uh, yeah, not good. But anyway, point is top six form last nine games of the season so we'll that's you know, it that's, that's fine so all the hype uh, with this game is around Cristiano Ronaldo isn't it but he wasn't actually going to be playing uh, until he got booked celebrating his winner against Ireland uh, and missing a pointless friendly against Qatar so he definitely uh, didn't do that on purpose did he uh, but the chances are we. I mean the way we've been playing it, it's the perfect team for him to come back to isn't it uh, yeah, but I think I'm just going to make the conscious decision that we should stop talking about Cristiano Ronaldo because everyone else all week, yeah. as for having for the last few weeks, are going to talk about Cristiano Ronaldo. And uh, just on a side note before I do do that, I realise I've just said that, but I am actually glad that neither TV company was able to, to televise Pick this game up, in the yeah. end because if they'd made an exception to this rule, then it would have annoyed me if it was just for this one case. If they're going to get rid of three o'clocks, the the the, the blackout, and you can watch games, then then fine. But if it's going to be one exception, just because Cristiano Ronaldo is back, regardless of what you can declare yeah. as to global interest and things like that, then it would have been infuriating. So I think there was a small victory there for <clears> all those Newcastle fans who booked weeks ago to go at three o'clock on a Saturday, and now don't yeah, have that change. Definitely. It just becomes a bit of a circus, doesn't it? Anyway, um, we have got a few injuries and a few omissions at the minute. Ryan Fraser's just pulled out of the uh, of the Scotland squad, uh, apparently with a knock. Although uh, early reports suggest that he's wearing some kind of protective boot on his foot. George, have you heard anything else about this? Well, we've seen pictures of that, yeah, and limping out of the uh, limping out of the Scotland squad. I think Steve Clark, um, Chris tells me, has said uh, that it's that it's just a knock, but yeah, that doesn't look kind of great at the start of this week. And yeah, M- Miguel Almiron, we're still waiting to find out what the repercussions will be of the withdraw withdrawing of players. Hey, do you know what? This has just reminded me of something. You know that the oh, yeah. Brazil versus Argentina was called off last yeah. night. It was brilliant. Did you see After it? After like five minutes. Yeah, well, like all the you know civil servants, all the health officials from Brazil walked onto the pitch <laughs> and tried to effectively try to arrest um, Argentina's players for for kind of. Do you think we could do? Do you think we could do this for Old Trafford? Absolutely. We, I think we need we some sort of middle manager to wander on in the middle of the game and just go right. That's enough, lads. That's Christian. That's Christian. Christian. I can't even say his name. Ronaldo, Cristiano, Cristiano, has he been? Has he been jabbed? Has he, has he? Should he be there? Oh God, I don't know, but I, I, I think that might be the only thing that could save us, couldn't it? Might it? be, yeah. Or oh, who knows, George? Who knows? We could pull off a shock. Remember, Johan Kabay, Sean Longstaff, Matt Ritchie. We've had some out of the blue wins against that lot, and uh, it would be hilarious. And if we are anything at all, it is hilarious, isn't it? Let's be honest. Uh, anyway, before we finish off, reasons to be cheerful, lads? Uh, lads? Yes. Top six form. Yeah. From last nine games last season. We have to just keep on holding on to that. That is that is the vision. That should be the new club motto. So therefore, I am going to, I think, stick that on the dressing room wall at the Old Trafford on Saturday. Reasons to be cheerful, George? <sighs> no. <laughs> Good. Uh, and, yeah, I don't have any either at the minute, to be honest. But you never know. We might have one next week after a shock win at Old Trafford against Cristiano well, oh, Ronaldo. I've got another one. They could play, they could play on four the... goalkeepers if they've named them all in the squad. We have no confirmation of that, but you could just name, you could just play four goalkeepers on, uh, on Saturday. 
we could have a back three of goalkeepers and a goalkeeper. Imagine that. It'd be, be quite good. It's been a while since we've seen like a goalkeeper coming on into a different position, isn't it? When was the last time that happened in the Premier League? You actually stick the keeper up, keep keeper on up front. I don't think they're allowed to, are they? I don't think you're allowed what? to register. You're not allowed to have a keeper as an outfield player. The what? only time I remember it ever happening is David James for Man City in a pre-season friendly. Stuart Pearce stuck him on up front. Steve Harp did wasn't that in a friendly as well? No, that was yeah, a, a friendly. Wasn't that testimonial Shearer's game? T- Shearer's testimonial. You can't you you can't do it in a in a normal in a normal league game because they're not registered as as outfield players. Hmm. There mm. you go. Oh well, that's that dream yet another dream crushed by Newcastle United. We're always here for outfield players league. going in goal, though, aren't we? That's that's always fun to see. We've not seen Jose that for Enrique. a while either. Jose, Jose Enrique, Enrique. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Vinnie Jones. We could, we could be on all day doing this. Anyway, uh, right, that's it. Thanks again, Chris and George. It's been lovely talking to you. And thanks once again to the brilliant Felipe Cardenas. Uh, and thank you to all of you lot for listening and for your furious questions full of righteous indignation. We shall be back soon with Pod on the Time. Speak to you in a bit. Bye for now. Athletic. As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code The Athletic, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10, place your first bet on any game, and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager.